meditate on on Easter. The fact that as surely as we died with Christ, we also live with Him. Paul tells us because of what he did that we actually have new lives and the capacity to live in a new way. You know, I don't think that the problem with us as believers, or most of us in this room this morning, is a lack of knowledge. I've heard, I heard the quote that many of us have been educated above, above the degree in which we live, above which degree, the degree in which we actually can apply it. We know so much. We've been told so much. It's actually the living out that God is interested in. This morning, I don't want to talk so much about the resurrection story, about the women going to the tomb and discovering that Jesus was, was gone, that his body was gone, that the stone had been rolled away. And then, they, and they, and then there was an angel there that told him, he's not here, he's been risen. We know that story. We've heard that story. If that's new to you or shocking to you, you need to go back and read the Gospels. In fact, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're all a little bit different viewpoints, but it's the same story. Now, I really believe that really for us this morning, the issue, the challenge is, is what does resurrection mean to me? How does it affect my life? How does it impact me? What does resurrection of Jesus have to do with my life here in the 21st century? Do you wonder that at all? I see a lot of deer in the headlights. Well, I want to talk a little bit about my resurrection story, or at least one of my resurrection stories, and maybe that'll help you to connect with the resurrection of Jesus and how, what that means for you personally. I have always had weight issues. When I was a kid, I was roly-poly. I was much way overweight. I think when I was in fifth grade, I weighed almost 200 pounds and I was about five foot four. And then in 2012, even though I I lost weight, I regained it, I lost weight and regained it, I lost weight and regained it. I went on diets, I did all kinds of things to try to lose weight. And then in 2012, I had a heart attack. I didn't even know I had a heart attack, but I knew there was something funny because I had this pain in my shoulder going down my arm and around my neck. And I got home, I drove home when it ha was happening. I'd just gone to, to, for an appointment in a town about 15 minutes away, and I had a heart attack on the way home. And uh, I got home and I told Brooke, I said, I had this weird experience. And she said, get in the car, we're going to the hospital. And I said, why? <laughs> Typical male thing, right? And uh, so I got in the car, and uh, I was thinking if I paid my insurance premium. And uh, we got to the hospital, and I'm just kind of, ah, I'm fine, you know, no problem here. I don't know why, why we're doing this. And they put me down, laid me in the, in the hospital bed, and they took, uh, took some blood or whatever it was, and they ran a test. They come back a half an hour later and go, she said, you had a heart attack. I go, you're kidding me. I go, no, you had a heart attack. You know, you have to get this enzyme in your heart that indicates you had a heart attack. And uh, myocardial infarction or whatever they call the thing, technically. And so I thought, oh, well, what does that mean? They go, that means you've got a blocked artery and you're going to have to go 
to the heart hospital, which was four hours, no, two and a half, three hours away in Eugene, Oregon, from where we were on the coast. And so they put me in an ambulance at 11 o'clock at night and went straight to the heart hospital. And uh, they got there, and, and they, the next, or that night, or I don't know when it happened now, they put me out, I don't remember. But they put a stent, which is this little thing that opens up the artery there, in, in the artery behind my heart. And uh, when I got home, well, before they let me go, they said, you need to change the way you live. You need to change the way you eat. You need to change the way you need to do something differently. And I thought, well, I've tried that a whole lot of times. That hasn't helped. And so anyway, I went home, and I had the fear of God in me for a little while. And so um, I lost weight because I ate, I basically blended my food, blended vegetables and fruit pretty much for about a month and I dropped 25 pounds and then I, we went through a, a, a class on heart health and that helped a little bit and then we moved here to Nebraska and I started working construction so I kept the weight down a little bit and was feeling pretty good getting lots of exercise and then I got back involved in ministry and started to put the pounds back on and I was not really regulating what I was eating I was eating whatever I wanted to eat. And um, after a while, I was back up to, uh, for me, uh, I think the most I've weighed is about 255 pounds. And uh, I knew that I was in trouble. I knew that I had heart disease. And I knew I, was in, I, I didn't know what to do. So last year, around New Year's, someone told me about an app on my cell phone called Noom, which is a weight loss app that actually tracks your weight, you, you track, you fill in every day, everything you eat, you check the calories, you check your weight, and so on. And I, I, just, I just came before God and said, Jesus, I can't do this in my own power. I've tried everything. I've gained weight and lost weight. I said, nothing has really changed me. I come to you in weakness. And Lord, I ask for your help. I'm going to do this app but I know that the app isn't going to save me. I need your help, Lord. I need your Holy Spirit to change me. I need resurrection power. I need to experience your power in my life, Lord. Because I really believe you live inside of me. So I started with that app. And I don't know what changed. I'll tell you some of the things I did in just a minute. But I began to lose weight, and I began to change the way I saw food. I began to change the way, I don't know, God just began to change me. I also began to play disc golf and do walking and stuff like that too. But um, I've lost 35 pounds, and I've been now a year and two months doing the same lifestyle. And I look behind me and I go, how did this happen? And I'm slowly working towards back down to 200 pounds. And uh, I don't know how long that'll take me. It might take me a couple years. I'm not so much focused on losing weight to look good as I am of just being faithful to be a steward of my body to God. So what made the difference? That's the question. Because I tried. I tried for for 25, 30 years without any success. Nothing lasted. 
I'm sure many of you this morning, and maybe weight loss is not your issue. Maybe it's something else. Something else, an area where you have an addiction, you're enslaved to something. It can be a mental thing. It can be uh, a physical thing. There's a lot of different choices out there to be things to be addicted to, to be enslaved to. So I want to look at a Bible story, and then I'm going to share some of the things that I really believe God that helped me, okay, that I believe can help you. I'm going to share from Ezekiel chapter 37 the story about the dry bones. And, and actually the title of my message this morning is, Can These Bones Live? And when I'm saying these bones, you need to take your hands and go like this. Can these bones live? Can that thing in me that is dead and doesn't seem to have enough life in it and doesn't have power, can that change? Can God do something in me that I can't do in myself to set me free? So let's look at this passage, starting in uh, verse 1. Uh, I'm going to read the first three verses first. The prophet Ezekiel is talking here, and of course this context of the story is all about the nation of Israel, which was decimated, and could God restore them, but but it has a personal application. I felt the power of the Lord on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he put me down in the middle of a valley. Okay, see the prophet God sets him down in the middle of a valley. He's having a vision here, okay? And the valley was full of bones. And I got a picture of bones. If we can get the slides to work. Did you put it on slideshow, Brett? Aha. Having fun. <laughs> oh. Dale's gone. He's with his family in Colorado. He's our slide master. So he put me in this valley and it was full of dead bones, dry bones. He led me around among the bones. So he's walking around looking at the bones and seeing, yeah, they're very dry, very disconnected. And I saw, that the, I saw that there were many bones in the valley and that they were very dry. But then he asked me, human, and you know, the King James is son of man, but he's, he's really saying human being, can these bones live? Now when God asks you a question, does it mean that he's lacking knowledge? Is he lacking the answer? No. Why does God ask us questions like this? He's trying to find out what we are willing to believe. What we think. Remember in the garden when God asked Adam and Eve, where are you? Was that because God had lost track of Adam and Eve? No. He wanted them to look at their heart and go, we messed up. And here he's asking the prophet, can these bones live? The prophet, he's smart. He answers a kind of a neutral answer. Uh, he says, Lord God, only you know. Lord, you know. So how much life was there in those bones? Zap, Zippo, right? Was there any hope for those bones? Zero. They were very dry, it says. Have you ever felt that way about your life? you ever felt like you were so dry 
there was nothing there. Have you ever been in a valley of despair? Have you ever felt so powerless that you just didn't know what, you couldn't do anything, you were just dead? And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe this message will give hope for you. I really believe it could. So let's keep going. Verse 4, He said to me, Prophesy to these bones. He's telling the prophet to prophesy. He's saying, I want you to declare something over these bones. See how God's wanting to include us in the situation. He doesn't want just do it all himself. God's all about relationships. So he's telling you to speak to your situation. So he says to the prophet, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says to the bones. I will cause breath to enter you so that you will come to life. I will put muscles on you and flesh on you and cover you with skin. Then I will put breath in you so that you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. See, God wants you to know that He is real and that He is involved in your life. So one of the ways that God wants you to know that and to believe that is He wants to do something new in you to bring alive something that's dead. The first thing He says here is hear the Word of the Lord. Why does He say that? It's because when God speaks something, it has power in it. It has authority in it. One of the things we need to ask ourselves is how much do I really give weight to the promises of God? Do I even believe that they're for me? Do I believe there's some mythology or some fables or some just historical stuff in the past? Or do I really believe that when God speaks something, there's actual life in it? I love that verse in Hebrews 4 that says the Word of God is living, like it's got life in its own. It's living and active. And it, it's like a sword that separates, it's a two-edged sword that separates soul from spirit, bone from marrow. What do you believe about God's promises? Do you believe that they're for you? Do you believe that they are real and that they, have, that they are living, they are alive? God wants to know what you believe about that. So what is the result here? Let's look at this, starting in verse 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. The prophet's going, okay, I can do what you're telling me to do. While I, when I, while I prophesied, there was a noise and a rattling. I was going to get a bag of dog bones and have you guys rattle them. I forgot to do that this morning. That would have been good because how many of us got dogs? I think that's most of us. We had to take them all home and give our dog a dog bone. But just imagine these bones beginning to rattle. Can you imagine him standing in that desert with all these skeletons around him? And they began to start to come together and shake and rattle. That must have been a real trip. We're going to play a song at the end that's called Rattling that I think you're going to enjoy. It's all about that. The bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and saw muscles come on the bones, and the flesh grew. 
and the skin covered the bones, but there was no breath in them. When God says something's going to happen, it's going to happen. Even dry, dead bones. God is not intimidated by that a bit. So what's the second thing that God commanded them to do? He commanded him to prophesy to the breath. He said to receive God's breath. Does that remind you of anything in Genesis? When God took that man that he made out of clay and dust and dirt, that's what the word Adam means. It means earth. He took that, that basically it was just a, a sculpture. And he breathed life into that sculpture. And Adam became real. Became what's called a living soul. If we take that living soul out of us, we're just like that lump of earth, aren't we? We're just organic matter. It's that living soul, that breath of God that sustains us. That we're told in Colossians chapter 1 and other places that, that it's that breath, that word of God and breath of God, the spirit of God that holds everything together. The scientists call it, they have a weak force, a nuclear force, strong nuclear force. They have all these forces that they made names up for because they don't know what holds atoms together. They don't know what keeps us from blowing apart. It's the very life and breath of God. Verse 9, But then he said to me, Prophesy to the wind. The word wind and breath and spirit are the same word. Okay? The Hebrew word is ruach. It means wind, it means breath, it means spirit. The, the Greek New Testament, the word is translated with the Greek word pneuma, where we get pneumatic. Same thing, wind, breath, spirit. So he said to me, prophesy to the wind or the breath or the spirit. Prophesy human and say to the wind or the breath, this is what the Lord God says. Wind, come from the, or breath, come from the four winds and breathe on these people or on these skeletons that have now got flesh on them and skin so that they can come back to life. So I prophesied as the Lord commanded me and the breath came into them and they came to life stood on their feet a very large army the King James 11 an exceedingly great army can you imagine the prophet standing in the desert watching all these bodies come alive like that better than any zombie movie you'll ever see and this is all a picture God's giving the prophet and he's giving the nation of Israel and he's giving you and me a picture of what he wants to do that resurrection isn't just to bring Jesus out of the grave. It's to resurrect you and to resurrect me. To transform and change our lives so that we can experience a life that we never thought was possible. And many of you this morning, I think, still don't believe it's possible. I'm standing here to tell you it's very possible. But it's going to cost you something. go on a little bit so in John chapter 20 verse 22 Jesus is with his disciples it's after the resurrection right before he ascended to heaven you got to remember Jesus resurrected in his human body 
It was glorified, so it wasn't quite the same. It was not any longer a body that could decay. It was a human body, though. He had flesh and blood and bones. He has flesh and blood and bones now. And when he ascended into heaven, he didn't change into spirit. He's in heaven in a human fleshly body sitting at the right hand of his Father in heaven. So he's talking to his disciples right before that he leaves them. And he says to them, in John verse 20, verse 22, he says, After this he rebreathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you have received Jesus as your Lord and Savior and given Him your life, then He has breathed His Spirit into you. You need to ask yourself this question. Has the Spirit of God been breathed into me? Do I have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God in me because He breathed in me? Have I, ever been, have I ever made that choice like Trevius did where he said, Mom, I'm ready. I want to receive the Holy Spirit. I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And he prayed to do that. If you, if you have done that, then, you, then Jesus has breathed in you and you have His Spirit inside you, which means that you have resurrection power living inside you. We're going to look at that in, more, in just a moment. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says that you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, comes in you, and comes on you. How, much of, how many of you this morning say, I could use some power. I could use some power in my life to overcome a lot of things in my life. Well, God has got power for us. It's going to cost us something, though. So how was I transformed? How can you be transformed? I'm just going to share uh, four or five things. First of all, as I got desperate, Desperate as a heart attack, you might say, literally. Psalm 51, David says, A broken and contrite heart you will not despise. And Isaiah, he says, I'll pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. You know, the people, the only people God can't help are the people that say, I don't need God. It's the people that feel like I'm fine, leave me alone. God will grant that wish. The people that end up in hell are not the people that God turned away. God's never turned anyone away that came to Him. The only people in hell are the people that turned God away. And unfortunately, hell will have a lot of people in it because they decided, I don't want God. I want to do my thing. I want to live for myself. And God will, will allow you to do that. That's a scary thing, to have that much power. So I got desperate. I also got gut level honest with God about my situation. 